Welcome to the Holden Village Podcast. Holden is a community of education, programming, and worship located in the remote wilderness of the Cascade Mountains. These snapshots provide a glimpse into the learnings taking place in our community. Let's tune in to this week's highlight. Welcome to another episode of the Holden Village Podcast. We are in week five of the 2023 summer program, and I'm with the wonderful Saskia DeVries. How would you like to introduce yourself? I guess I'm a neuroscientist. Um, I've spent the last 25 years studying visual physiology of how the neurons in our eyes and our brains receive light and construct our perceptions of the world and shape our behaviors. Why sight? Out of all the senses, yeah. why did you focus on that? I mean, sight kind of grabbed me. I, I really just fell in love with visual processing when, uh, when I was a college student. And I talked about this in, in my first session about when I was an undergraduate, I was studying molecular biochemistry. So you talk a lot about different molecules and uh, how they're structured and their shapes and taking like organic chemistry and talking about all these bonds and electrons and things like that. And really the questions that drew me in were questions about behavior and questions about how the outside world gets in. And so when I learned about phototransduction, which is when light gets absorbed by a molecule and it breaks just this one bond and flips the configuration of that one bond and it causes this cascade of molecular events that then create an electrical signal that then creates our perception of the world, it really, it literally just blew my mind in that moment. And I, I told them, I was like, I learned this on October 26, 1996. Like, <laughs> it was a, a, a singular moment of awe and fascination. And it's, you know, the thing is, there are those moments in other sensory modalities as well. In hearing, we've got these, these really cool, they're called hair cells in the air that it's a mechanical process that kind of triggers, again, channels to open, creates electrical currents. But... At the same time, like we're very, very visual animals, and right. our visual experience is a lot easier for us to articulate than, say, like our olfactory experience. Auditory, we can articulate it pretty well, but there's a lot of things about it that are kind of hard to unpack and unravel. And so it's just, it just really kind of captures the imagination, and we feel a lot, it feels very accessible. The reality is we don't actually have access to a lot of it, um, <laughs> and there's a lot more um, construction going on of our perceptions of the world. Uh, and it's not just this literal um, transformation of light into image. And so that's maybe a little misleading, but it makes it feel very accessible. Absolutely. I love that you brought in the, the auditory component as well, because that's part of my passion mm -hmm. um, is acoustics. I'm curious with vision. So you mentioned one of the, you know, the, the mechanical translation that happens mm -hmm. in hearing. It goes through like three other translations as well. Yeah. So no one actually knows what we're hearing with that raw acoustic data. Um, is that the same with visual as well? Does it go through like that many translations before it becomes an electrical signal? So it's a pretty, it's pretty fast from uh, a photon of light to an electrical signal, but that electrical signal gets changed so much in both the retina and then also in the brain. But there's less, yeah, so with hearing, there's like a bunch of bones that are actually like moving that and then it's vibrating against a membrane, right? There's, um, there's a lot of mechanics involved, whereas with light, it's pretty direct. The reasons we were designed this way, however you wanna mm -hmm. frame that, is for stability purposes, is for an ability to be able to 
function. Absolutely. I think that the purpose of our visual system, it's easy and, and nice to kind of talk about our perceptual experience, but the purpose of our visual system is to allow us to survive. And it's to help us, you know, navigate our environment to locate food, to avoid predators, to avoid obstacles and danger. And some of those processes are conscious and some of them are not conscious. And there's aspects of our visual experience that that don't enter into that perceptual awareness. For part of my training, I worked with fruit flies and they have really cool visual behaviors. They're easy to study. Uh, they're also really small, so sometimes they're hard to study, <laughs> but there's a lot of tools uh, for working with them genetically that are, are really useful for kind of dissecting how these circuits work. But the thing with fruit flies is we, when, we're when we're studying their visual system, we never talk about what the fly sees or what the fly thinks. It's not like the fly decided to turn right uh, when it saw a moving bar. It's just we showed the fly a bar that moved right and the fly turned right. And we don't, we don't really use that language of the fly thinking. Sure. Um, and I, I don't know. I, don't, I have no idea what the conscious experience of a fly is, right? <laughs> um, but when we talk about mammals, we talk about them seeing things, thinking things, deciding things. And so I think for me, that experience working with flies where it was less about what is their conscious experience, what is their perceptual experience, and simply how do these different visual stimuli shape their behavior. When I come back to working with mammals, I, I, I brought a bit of that with me. Uh, and so I can still ask questions about their perception, but I, I can't actually ask a mouse what it's seeing. I can really only access its behavior and I can make assumptions about what it's seeing, but I really don't know. And it helped me kind of disassociate the two a little bit more. There are, you know, a lot of fascinating questions about how our perception is created, but there's other questions about vision in terms of how does it guide and shape our behavior allow us to, to find our ways of interacting with the world that are beneficial and you know help us survive. If you're looking at something, let's say, like you look at a tree, you have all these mental associations with that tree, almost to the point where you're not even seeing the yep. tree. Like we often like go through the world not even perceiving things correctly. Yeah. Just because we have all these like mental blocks. <laughs> that go along the way. Yeah, no, we, we have a lot of strong, what we call priors, and we, we use those often to our advantage in order to be able to use just small snippets of sensory information mm -hmm. to be able to figure out where we are or what things are around us. Um, but they can also get in the way. One place where I see this actually, so my partner who's, who's here with me, she's an artist. And, uh, you know, a long time ago, she was teaching me how to draw. And the thing about it that, that really struck me, and it's not like I'm, I'm great at it, but like what, what I learned kind of in that process was when you're looking at an object that you're trying to draw, it's not about seeing that this is a vase and then thinking, okay, this is what a vase looks like and how do I represent that? But it's really looking at that object in front of you and kind of forgetting that it's a vase, but noticing the actual angle of the edges and how the shadow is falling here and how you know the the interaction of of, of the light on that object in that moment mm -hmm. and you almost have to like kind of i think sometimes you can kind of like physically just block part of it so you're not thinking about the whole in order to really get the details of the actual thing you're looking at and so that was really re revelatory for me is to see that when you when you kind of step back and you know try and conceptualize this is what I'm trying to draw, it gets in the way. Whereas if right. it's just like what is the actual perception in that moment? What exact? How is the light exactly hitting that surface and reflecting off that surface? And how do I how do I represent that? 
And if I put it all together, now it looks like a, the vase that I'm sitting in front of. That's a wonderful and delightful example of that. <laughs> Thank you. <Yeah. laughs> Our summer theme is Eden is Calling. Yeah. What does that mean to you in the context of your work? So actually tomorrow's session, I'm gonna talk about Twilight, which there's, there's an important thing about it. So in the, the, the creation myth in, in Genesis 1, uh, the six days of creation, on, on the first day, uh, God creates light and dark and separates light and dark. And then there's evening and morning. And evening and morning, twilight, are when light and dark come back together. Um, and so it was really striking to me in that passage of this first act of separating and then immediately bringing them back together. Visually, that time of twilight is, is actually kind of really fascinating because there's a lot of changes in the light that happen during twilight. Um, and there's a lot of animals who are active during twilight, right? So we're diurnal animals, we're active during day, they're, you know, bats are nocturnal, they're active at night. Right. And then there's crepuscular animals who are active during dusk and dawn. Um, and so the mice that I study are crepuscular, the fruit mm. flies that I studied are crepuscular, um, and a lot of birds are crepuscular. Um, there's actually just a ton of activity and life at that at, at that phase of our day. And it's a pretty mm. substantial part of, of, of the day, right? It's sure. not a, a fast transition. And so the, the types of things that happen during, during twilight, the one that we kind of think of most is just that light gets dimmer. Uh, say, if we talk about twilight at sunset, the reverse happens at sunrise, but you know, like as the sun is setting, we have less light and things get darker. And there's changes in how our visual system processes information uh, when there's bright lights and when there's dim lights, but we're seeing the substantial change in the luminance. But there's other changes that happen too. And so like one of the big changes that, is that the color of the light that we see in our environment shifts really down to, to the blue and then to the ultraviolet range of, of the spectrum. And, uh, and this is because the sun is below, as it, as it sets, it's below the horizon. So you're not getting the direct rays and it's re reflecting off the atmosphere. And when it reflects, it reflects from in that bluer end of the spectrum more. We can see blue, we can't see ultraviolet. Most crepuscular animals have, have photoreceptors that are sensitive to ultraviolet light. Oh, lucky. Yeah. <laughs> and the thing is, is that, I don't know if you've ever seen images where people have taken pictures of, of flowers through, uh, you know, with a camera with a, a lens for ultraviolet, uh, for ultraviolet light. I don't think so. They're, they're really cool patterns that, re that are reflecting ultraviolet light that we can't see, but the bees, the birds, like they're able to see. And so a lot of times it's like landing stripes that are like, this is where the nectar is. It's like right here in the middle. But like, we don't have access to that. We don't see that. But the, you know, all these crepuscular animals and particularly during twilight when there's a lot more ultraviolet light in the atmosphere are able to see different patterns in petals and flowers. There's different animals that reflect their skin or their shells uh, for insects. There's a word for that. That's not shell, but exoskeleton. Um, reflect ultraviolet in different ways. And so that makes like foraging for, for fruits or for insects a different type of, basically just adding a different color that is more detectable that we don't have access to that, right? There's, but there's animals who are really well adapted for that. There's another change in light during, during twilight, which is in the polarization of light. We aren't able to detect changes in polarization, but there are animals whose photoreceptors will respond when light is polarized. And so polarization is that um, light 
it's a, a wave and that wave can be kind of aligned to a plane that's when it's polarized or it can kind of like spin around and not be aligned to a single plane in space um, and then it's unpolarized we will see polarized and unpolarized light as the same but there are um, animals who their photoreceptors will be able to discriminate the angle of the polarization of the light or know if it's if it's unpolarized um, and so, for instance, uh, water reflects light at a particular polarization. And so uh, when there's a lot of strong polarization in the light, which happens again during twilight, it's easier for animals who can, who can have polarized vision to see water. Uh, and, you know, whether it's a, a drop on a, a leaf or like a lake of water, I can see that water, of course, is a really important <laughs> Uh, resource for every living being, right, to be able to find and access water. Um, and so that really helps them to detect that. Um, again, different berries and insects reflect polarized light in different ways. Uh, like if you look at the, the back of a beetle through a, a polarized filter, you see really kind of cool irradiance patterns. And so if, if beetles are the food that you're looking for, it's easier to see them when the light is polarized in the sky, which, which happens during twilight. There's this really rich visual experience that happens during twilight that isn't for us. <laughs> Why? I want it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a bit of a bummer. There's plenty of visual experience that works just fine for us. We've got plenty of, of daylight hours and colors that we're able to perceive. But there's also this time of, of day that isn't for us. It's for someone else. And this, this notion of being in between, of not fitting into clean definitions, for me, this is actually like a very kind of queer space. Beautiful. And the thing that really resonates for me is that what this tells me is that from the very first day of creation, there has always been queer space in our world. Mm -hmm. And that it's not, this isn't a new thing and we're not making exceptions. We're not changing the rules. The world was created with and for queer people um, and with and for beings that don't fit into any category. Um, and it can be ca all sorts of categories. It can be categories of ability, it can be categories of ethnicity or race, or just, you know, the things that bring you joy that don't, that nobody quite understands, that don't fit into any label. Hmm. There's always been a space in our world for everybody, no matter what label or lack of label um, we can find. Um, and so for me, that, that to me is like the thing about Twilight is, it's not, so great. It's, not, it's, not, it's not really for us as humans, but it's like this important space that we need to kind of hold and maintain and, and celebrate mm -hmm. um, because it makes space for beings that we don't understand. And we can't see that polarized light and yet it's there. Right. I love when you know, people can, can merge science with social justice mm -hmm. as well. I feel like people have, can like access it a little easier. Is that a part of your world as well? it does then start to touch on social justice because social justice is a crucial part of of my faith tradition it, it kind of is a lens of opening it up and changing that conversation about what is this story telling us why is this an important myth that we continue to tell right it's not um, you know, we often talk about myths and being like falsehoods and fabrications that sure. we're kind of using to hide the truth. And it, that's not what myths are. Myths are stories that we tell that contain some truth that is important that we want to continue telling. And for me, that important thing is that from the very first day, there's always been an in-between space. There's always been an evening and morning of every single day of creation. They keep saying, and there was evening and morning. And so... To be able to kind of take this passage that a lot of people want to ignore and discard and say, but it's telling us something important 
about our lives and about how we can better recognize and see one another. That makes me excited. And I don't know that I per se have been pushing it in a social justice way. I know I have a, a very dear friend from college who is a biracial trans man and that really resonated with him. And he's doing a lot of, of work in his community in, in Missouri. And that, that metaphor has really kind of transformed a lot of of his activism um, and that has meant a lot to me to be able to be like all right yes like this is this is helping um what is your connection to Holden so I have a friend who's been coming here for a few years okay. uh, I think like six or seven so not one of these people who's like oh, I started coming in the 70s <laughs> yeah, and, back uh, God, grandkids, <laughs> you know. um, but he and his family have been coming for I think six or seven years and he was on teaching faculty a couple of seasons and mm. He, he told me about it a while ago, um, and then this past year, he kind of reminded me about it, and I think also reached out to, to Emma Kate and suggested that, that she connect with me. And so, like, that was what got me up here. And Wonderful. it's really delightful. I mean, I think there's something really powerful about the invitation of friends. And, uh, you know, there was a moment kind of when we were kind of coming up here where I'm like, I have no idea what we're stepping into and what this is going to be like. And it's been... Absolutely delightful. It's it's been just a, a really beautiful week, an exciting week, and so like I'm really grateful to kind of be like let in on this little secret of the world. That would you ever live in an intentional community like this? The idea of intentional community is exciting to me. I kind of feel at this phase of my life it might be harder. I could have very much have imagined myself as a 20 year old hmm. being uh, really. Um, excited to live in this type of community for a longer period of time. There's also intentional community and remote intentional community, and that, that remote part might be a little harder. One of the things I love, like I'm a pretty urban person. I, I mean, I love being out in nature, but I, I grew up in cities. I live in cities. I, I really like um, how cities are. But one of the things I, I kind of am really fascinated by is that it actually kind of shows you how cities work by being in this remote village because totally. everything has to be done by the people who are here. Um, and so it makes you very aware of what it means to uh, to deal with your garbage and what it means to be able to um, have power and all of these things and the work that goes into maintaining and doing all that. So I, I love hearing stories from some of the more long-term uh, hold-in people, the people who've been coming year after year and they'll talk about the things that have changed and how they needed to fix this and they decided they wanted to bring in something new and what it took to be able to do that. And that is kind of exciting to me to kind of see all those pieces working. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Slightly off-the-cuff question, yeah. but it's something I ask everyone. Mm -hmm. um, what makes you laugh? A lot of the people that come here do such amazing work that can sometimes get very serious, you know? Yeah. So I'm curious how, pe how people balance out and bring levity into their lives. Cause that's also another part of the Holden experience is this uh, Holden hilarity is what we call it. I like a good dad joke. A good dad joke, excellent. That's fantastic. <laughs> but also sometimes they're just awful, right? Like, um, I mean, humor, humor is great. And humor I think is a really important part of of how we work and how we relate with people. Yeah. Um, and I'd like to be able to find those moments of, of levity. Um, and I think it's a, a really crucial way of, of connecting with people is that yeah. when jokes work between people, it's because you have some shared understanding and some shared ideas about things. And so the things though that make me laugh, I don't know. I, <laughs> 
our, our godson is what, nine years old, and like he's kind of in those peak kind of dad joke stages. <laughs> so I, I like to, you know. That's why we have children, you know. Yeah. For the dad jokes. Oh, except there's a phase where children have terrible jokes, right? Like they know they they understand the structure, but they don't actually understand the humor, and it's like. They, they know there's a cadence, but they don't know what the actual funny thing is. Um, <laughs> Any final words um, that you'd like to say? I mean, I think the thing, I guess what I would conclude with is that it's just, it's great to continue to be able to be curious and to explore. Um, and I think that's one of like the, the joys of being here is that there's just this freedom to, to let go of everything going on outside in the world. I have no idea what's happening in news this week. And I'm really grateful. Like, <laughs> I'm a little nervous to go home and like yeah, right, yeah. open up the news, but God um, like is on fire. <laughs> <laughs> but it gives you a bit of a freedom to kind of ask questions and think and, and have, have curiosity and let that guide when there's opportunities to see, see the world through somebody else's lens um, to to kind of take that and embrace it and, and run with it and see what, what you can learn. And then to start thinking about what the lenses that you see the world through. So sometimes understanding your own lens, I think, helps to understand what might I be missing or what am I noticing in particular in detail. But it's, it's nice to be in a place where you kind of can take a little moment to think about that. Thanks for joining us. Be sure to view the links in the description for more information or visit our website to find out more about the village. We hope you will make a pilgrimage to Holden. Blessings and peace to you.